Welcome to episode 242 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we discuss the Peter Volandis versus Dom Perrottet battle to fund suburban Sydney stadiums. Samoa's confirmed players for the upcoming World Cup, the hip drop tackle controversy, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 242 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Oh, Dr. T, I am doing good. Uh, You know, straight after the Women of League round, where the focus was on women and on Rugby League. Um. Two of my greatest <laughs> passions. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably a bit chauvinist. But it was a it was a great round of footy. There was uh, a really some interesting results and some uh, controversies, but it's been good. And uh, I don't know, is it the Commonwealth Games? Is that is that happening as well, Dr. Z? It is. It is. They are the the Aussies are number one on the medal tally as we speak. Wow. Uh, obviously uh, all the swimming events are going our way but i think uh, as as you'll find in most uh, olympic and commonwealth games as the meet goes on uh, into other sports we tend to kind of uh, mm. lose our ground a little bit so you know we're peaking early it's a bit like yeah the, uh, it's a bit like being the march or april premiers in the nrl Absolutely. Uh, pe- peaking a bit early a la Parramatta. Yeah, and then falling falling off a little bit, and hopefully we don't get out in straight sets like the Eels have in the last few years. Yeah, um, gotcha, but yeah. gotcha. But the, yeah, no, very proud of the Aussies. Uh, yeah, over there in Birmingham, England, doing brilliantly. Yeah, well, look, I like to see rugby league nines or rugby league thirteens even appear in the Commonwealth Games one day. Uh, that would be that would be a good thing because uh, I think they really need it. I mean, Australia's biggest sporting passion is swimming and rugby league, right? We've already got swimming in there. Let's get rugby league in there, I say. And um, you know, I've seen some of the footage and I've seen some of the medal ceremonies, and it's um, you know, I always like the look on um, you know, the faces of the people who win gold, uh, because it looks like um, you know, it's like winning a trial game or like winning the French Open before Wimbledon, right? It's not really the big. <laughs> It's not really the big one that you're hoping for, right? Um, so yeah, so but it's yeah, it's 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 entertainment on television. Well, it's good to see the Aussies win. <laughs> I'll tell you mm. what, it's really good to see them win. And and you know, look, there's a lot of uh, uh, in many sports, the the Commonwealth Games is pretty much you know almost equal. Uh, in terms of pinnacle compared to the Olympics, uh, given you know, it depends on the sport and which which countries dominate. But you know, like I mean, I think it's not like like say say rugby sevens at the moment. We're not really going to see too much of a difference between the Commonwealth Games medalists and the the actual Olympic medalists, given that you know a lot of the the uh, the countries that play are British colonies. 
yeah. uh, former British colonies or whatever, still part of the Commonwealth. And mm. so, you know, this is, it's very unlikely you're going to get, you know, a, a USA, you know, coming from the clouds to win the rugby sevens in the Olympics. Uh, so, you know, in many cases, winning a Commonwealth Games medal, a gold medal is, uh, you know, makes you feel like you're top of the world, uh, you know, and, and so good on everyone who's involved in it, you know, even those who don't yeah. win gold medals, of course. Um, you know, it's really great to have, uh, look, sport. <laughs> you know, it's just great to have sport uh, so much, wall-to-wall sport. Uh, mm. You know, I'm be getting into the lawn bowls. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, there's a badminton, there's a table tennis. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think lawn bowls is an Olympic sports. sport, is it? I think lawn bowls is one of those sports, right, that you're talking about that. Um, is lawn sports in the Olympic Games? I don't think it is, you know. Um, uh, possibly not. And and so you mentioned, yeah, the, the rugby league, uh, probably the nines uh, as a shortened version of the game being, I think they're going to trial it in Brisbane 20. Uh, are they going to try and get it into the Brisbane Olympics, actually? Wow. And yeah. I think that's the aim. So that, that yeah. means that they're going to trial it in the next Commonwealth Games, I think. Mm. Anyway, that's what I've heard, but we should definitely chase that up because um, it will be great to have Rugby League at the Olympics and uh, you know give it a go at the Commonwealth Games first, Yeah, see how it goes. Um, but look... If you look at – for anyone saying, let's not do that, you know, blah, 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 um, I point you to what I would call an abomination of a shortened version of a game, which is three-on-three three basketball. Um, wow. The most ridiculous – I just can't get into it. I'm sorry. <laughs> when you when you enjoy the full game, you just can't mm. – I don't know. Three-on-three three just seems like it's uh, – it's like a, a, a fake kind of muck around version. It just doesn't seem the same um, yeah. as the five-a-side game. So, look, yeah. Well, what, what's your yeah. opinion on um, beach volleyball? Considering normal volleyball, well, unbeach volleyball. So, what is that? <laughs> Indoor volleyball. <laughs> Indoor well, hardcore what? volleyball is volleyball. what six. So you go six to two just because of the sand, right? Maybe that's the problem oh. with basketball, right? You, you haven't changed the surface. What you need to do is you need to do three on three, but on sand or well, some no, other. Yeah, I say do it. Do it on on asphalt uh, on a hot day, um, mm. and barefoot, barefoot basketball. Mm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know they'll be running around. There'll be no time to dawdle. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think make it hard. You know, let's yeah. let's uh, throw yeah. in a couple of spiders in there if you want. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, barefoot basketball or even um, downhill basketball. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You know what? Basketball on pogo sticks. Let's be fair. (laughs) Let's give the little guys a go at trying to slam dunk. You know, I think the little guys like us, we need to let's let's get equality, uh, you know, going and uh, get some pogo sticks. But look. We're here to talk rugby league. I don't know how we ended up talking about <laughs> rugby stick basketball, but there you go. This is what we're like. But um, NRL, we're all about NRL, and uh, there's so much to talk about. So I reckon we just launch right into tackle number one. Here we go, tackle number one. All right, so round 20 of the NRL has just 
been completed last weekend. Uh, Sydney Roosters, 20-10 to 10 over the Manly Warringah Seagulls with uh, a depleted Manly Warringah Seagulls uh, given the Pride jersey situation and some of the uh, the boycotts. Uh, Melbourne Storm, 24-12 over the New Zealand Warriors. The Eels, 34-10 to 10 over the Premier's Penrith Panthers in very controversial circumstances. Uh, we'll talk about that, no doubt, in a minute. Uh, the Raiders, 36-24 to 24 against the Gold Coast Titans, condemning them to the bottom of the ladder. The Cronulla Sutherland Sharks, 21-20 over the South Sydney Rabbitohs in extra time. The Tigers, 32-18 to 18 over the Brisbane Broncos. The Bulldogs, 24 to 10 over the hapless Newcastle Knights. And the North Queensland Cowboys flogging the Dragons, 34 to 8. Uh, that completes round 20 in this, terms of the scores. Uh, Tish, uh, you know, in terms of what were the main talking points, do you want to go first? What are the what were the highlights or the main things to take out of that, that round? Well, look, for me, I think the excitement, obviously, as a Tigers fan, I think Saturday... Uh, evening was spectacular for me, obviously seeing the Tigers win their fourth game of the, of the year. So definitely um, not a run onto the finals, but, you know, after the controversy of the week before, uh, to actually see them get the win and uh, quite, con- uh, you know, uh, convincingly against Brisbane, um, who well, was in second position, I believe, when, when the, uh, you know, when the game took place. Um, so an upset and, and also at Suncorp Stadium as well. Um, and look, I've got to say, watching the game, there were obviously some tense moments as well where it was pretty close and then the Tigers sort of ran away with it in the end. But there were some moments where the Tigers did everything they could to lose the game. I mean, like there was the, you know, they uh, they got a captain's challenge. It was successful after the controversy of captain challenges last week. They got another one. It was successful again. They got another one. And then they, uh, it was just successful again. And I think it was on their third or fourth captain's challenge in a row. Uh <laughs> That it went against them. <laughs> and I thought, man, guys, what are you guys doing? Because, like, you guys are, are leading. And all the captain challenges is just giving energy back to the Broncos, right, you know? And uh, even when, like, you know, we scored a try and we're, uh, you know, we're in front with, like, 10 minutes to go. There's two tackles where we got into their own – got uh, to the fifth tackle and we just ran it or we kicked the ball in the first tackle. So I thought, okay, well, these guys, they obviously have lost – uh, they've lost they've lost the manual on how to win a game, <laughs> right? <laughs> but they but they got they got the job done. So I thought that was exciting. And look, um, just before that game, I was waiting for that game to occur, and then um, you know, a spectacular uh win by Cronulla at Shark Park. I mean, I think Latrell Mitchell tried to kick a field goal about seventy five times and missed all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Before before Nico Hines got to it. So I think I think the Saturday night footy was absolutely spectacular. Um, and I'll leave it to you to talk about uh, actually what I thought was a great game on the Friday night as well. Yeah, look, before that, uh, I need to talk about the Knights and the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, obviously, uh, uh, forget the name, the player's name, got a got a hat-trick. Uh, the, the Josh? Cent- no? Not Josh Adokai this time? No, not Josh Adokai. It was, it was uh, someone else. But anyway, um, you know, look, the Knights... Oh, it's all about the Knights, really. Uh, a lot of controversy there. I think Adam O'Brien is uh, on the chopping mm. block in terms of the next NRL coach to not be able to see through the entire season. Mm. Um, however, oddly enough, the the Knights have not um, 
not done what needs to be done and deal with the coach. They have actually gone the opposite way and uh, and uh, supported him in sacking Jordan. Uh, no, sorry, what's his name? David Clemmer. Yeah. Um, who it's been said he's been, you know, provides a bit of a toxic environment. I guess he's mm. kind of, uh, he was seen arguing with uh, the, the trainer and the coach when they wanted to replace him on the weekend. Uh, and that's obviously a no-no kind of thing, although it happens in other sports a lot, you know, um, but we don't often see that in the NRL where players fight back against the coach's wishes and, you know, so so it's a bit, you know, it's controversial. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with Clemmer. Uh, Clemmer's probably better off elsewhere, to be honest. Um, even it seems like the media is portraying, uh, you know, part of it is portraying him as as the the problem, uh, and part of it is portraying uh, Adam O'Brien as not having control over the playing environment, uh, the players, and the dressing room kind of thing. And potentially, this is a way to show authority um, by sacking one of the the highest paid players. Um, I don't know what to say about that. You know, we're not going to talk about it too much more in detail, but I think. Uh, it pretty much heralds uh, doom and gloom for the Newcastle Knights this year. There, there's no way they're going to win another game in mm. this in this circumstance. Um, you know, having said that, Canterbury, let's give them credit. They they are on a roll a little bit, and Mick Potter is uh, very much uh, to, t- mm. to take the credit for that. Um, the magician Mick Potter, right? The magician. <laughs> Yeah, like Mick like Potter Harry and the Philosopher's Stone. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Abley, you know, I did notice a a lady and a, no, no. and a redhead he as oh, his assistant. <laughs> a lady and a redhead as his assistant coaches. Uh, wow. I'm guessing one of them is Hermione and the other one mm. is uh, Ed Sheeran. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So look, let's uh, let's see what happens there. But look. Um, the other thing, obviously, I need to talk about the Eels and the Panthers. And mm. I guess the disappointing thing was the fact that, uh, from an Eels fan's perspective, that uh, once uh, Cleary, uh, Nathan Cleary, was sent off for his spear tackle on uh, Dylan Brown, it was pretty much all over. Uh, Penrith had no answers. They, they already were struggling. And, and the disappointing thing is that yep. we weren't able to beat them on... Uh, yeah. with a full squad. Um, yeah. And uh, however, at the point that uh, that 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 Cleary got sent off, I believe the Eels were all over. They were dominating Penrith without doubt. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so, look, uh, the other thing that that I was perplexed with while watching the coverage was the way that uh, uh, that in the second half, the commentary was all about how. You know, Parramatta failed to capitalise, failed to put Penrith to the sword. You know, I I, I felt like they were really negative towards the Eels mm. for letting their foot off the pedal a little bit in the second half. Um, I did feel that uh, you could tell that they... They they dropped in intensity, and I wonder whether if some of that is they uh, they they had uh, they they felt a little bit <laughs> sorry for the the Panthers. I wonder if they kind of thought there's no point us demolishing these guys sixty to sixty to four or whatever it was. That uh, they're only on four points by the start of the uh, second half. Um, 
I guess they felt maybe they didn't need to do that. They'd already had it in the bag and they, they put the queue in the rack. And uh, while I do understand that, that some people were very angry online and, and even the, uh, the commentators were saying, look, this shows how inconsistent they are. I don't think it really does. I think it's just because it's not about Parramatta being inconsistent within a single game. I think, <laughs> I think the issue is that they lift for certain games and then for other games, they're absolutely terrible. And, and, they weren't terrible in the second half. They just didn't really try too hard to push passes or do anything. And I think that's a disappointing thing as an Eels fan is that you had an opportunity here against against the reigning premiers to try some things out. You know, maybe try some some different things, try some different uh, combinations. And Brad Arthur didn't do that; just stuck with the same thing, game same plan. old team, same yeah. game plan, which yeah. obviously is. You know, obviously you'd already won the two points. Why not try something? And I think that's what, mm. um, from my perspective, it was a little bit disappointing. Having said that, I can understand why they let the foot off the pedal. I can forgive them for that because I think they would have won the match anyway um, and they were winning quite comfortably, uh, at least not on the scoreboard, but, you know, uh, by all the stats until the point that Nathan Cleary got sent off. So, look, that's my view. I, I'm very proud of them that they did the job. I just wish that we see that team uh, in the coming weeks when we've got, you know, a pretty difficult lineup. And, uh, yeah, mm. next week we'll go into a little bit deeper what the road home is for all the teams. But Parramatta's got a pretty tricky one, I think, on the way home uh, to the finals. So, yeah, um, Look, that's my view, but Tish, do you uh, you know some Penrith Panthers supporters? What were they like watching this game? Did they feel like it was a lost cause after Cleary got sent off? Well, look, I think the wheels were already falling off for the Panthers uh, after, uh, like before, as you said, before the incident, right? The incident sort of came, at, you know, after Parramatta started getting on a roll, uh, scored a couple of tries, um, and I think it was before their third try, which is where... Um, you know, where this happened. And you could clearly see that Parramatta have worked out how to beat the Panthers. And I think they've been doing it consistently over the last two years as well. So um, that's happened. Then the speed tackle happened. I've got to say, everybody saw, everybody thought the speed tackle was disgusting. I don't think I've heard anybody. Well, I've only heard one person that said that Cleary should get two weeks, which is Billy Slater, because of his stature in the game. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I know he's gotten five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> which is the same as what a previous speed tackle had gone earlier in the earlier in the season, which I appreciate. For some reason, I actually thought that it would have been more of a seven-game suspension. I don't know why I thought that in my mind. But I think if five weeks is what you're going to give for speed tackles, it's as bad as what the... You know, it's kind of the worst. I mean, he's very, very lucky that Dylan Brown didn't suffer any major injury because yeah. that is definitely the classic the classic thing. And, and there's, there's, there's really no... Uh, there's no real way you could get out of it. And look, I think Nathan Cleary handled it well, like, you know, with, you know, he kind of took it on the chin and they all sort of talked about it. So, yeah, and I think that, look, I think we, you're with the Eels, I think that, yeah, there was no change of game plan. They basically went in to the game um, with the game plan on how to win against, um, uh, 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 you know, Penrith, and they were able to do it. And that's... Parramatta and, and and just able to do it. And I think the you know it's it's weird. Like a few years ago, you heard Parramatta being the um you know flat track bullies or the you know um you know the 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 guys who really you know take advantage when the sides are down and really like you know sort of cutthroat. And now they've sort of 
not really that anymore. They're more of a, you know, against the big teams, they play conservative and they win. And against the lesser teams, they they just don't show up, show up right? <laughs> so right. I think, I, I don't know if they read their own media too much or, but I just feel that a lot of, a lot of the, the ills of Parramatta is probably more psychological than anything. Like, you know, like the way they prepare for the game, the way they think about certain teams and certain games, they just uh, are not mentally there. And I think the other thing that, that this game might highlight for the, uh, you know, for Parramatta that they need to work on is, um, you know, they've got a game plan. They stick with the game plan. They can execute the game plan. But can they switch to a plan B? You know, if it's not going the way they want it to go, uh, can they switch it up, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I have a feeling that they can't, right? I feel like they, they go in with a game plan and if, if the plan works, then then they're fine. But if it's not working... They really don't know how to switch into another gear. It's, it's kind of interesting that we've seen that a little bit with Par- Parramatta. But, yeah, look, I just hope for the competition's sake that they could get into the top four because I think once they could get into the top four, then I think all the other teams are going to say, well, these guys can beat Penrith. They've already beaten the Storm earlier this season. Um, there's nothing stopping Parramatta from actually winning the competition. But in order to do that, their assignment is for the next five weeks to win as many games as possible to get into the top four. And um, that's probably one of the interesting storylines going into the finals. Yeah. And look, my final comment on that is if you're wondering what the game plan is uh, for (laughs) Parramatta to beat Penrith, there's two stats that that popped out. Um, Admittedly, in in an unusual circumstance, uh, you know, unusual game, but... I think you'll see this in in all the wins that the Eels have had over the Panthers in the last couple of years. There's two stats that really stand out. How fast do they play the ball and how many offloads do they Mm. make compared to the Panthers? They were much slower uh, in in the average play the ball speed. We're talking, you know, 3.32 seconds on average for the Panthers, which is really super fast. And 3.74 seconds for the Eels, which is, you know, it was as slow as we saw Queensland do it, I think, in the State of Origin series uh, at their slowest. So clearly that stat shows you that the Eels actually were, were slowing down their own play the ball which means, uh, you know, they weren't necess- and they weren't really trying to slow down the Panthers. Um, I think it was because, uh, I mean, this might be the uh, the the Walker brothers' uh, approach to uh, just getting getting the other team to get through their set as quickly as possible, so mm. that you can get the ball back and have possession. And that's why they also had a mountain of possession because they get let the others get through their set quickly. Uh, they meet them in the defensive line and get on with it. Whereas when they've got the ball, they're not worried about play the ball speed. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is passing and offloads. And and I think, again, here, here the Eels dominated against the Panthers. Now, you mentioned they don't have a plan B. They seem like they're one-dimensional sometimes. I agree with that. The irony is if you look at the stats when they actually win against teams like the Panthers, it's their off-the-cuff play. That mm. it's their, that is actually uh, beneficial to them, and they're the, one of the best teams at doing that. And so I don't know why they don't. Um, sometimes it's okay to sort of throw a bit of the rule book out and go go for it, because that's where they seem to shine. And they've got enough players that can see the ball ahead of them. They can see, you know, Dylan Brown, uh, Gutherson, to some extent Mitchell Moses. They've got yep. this ability to see what's in front of them. And not necessarily play the strict lines that you might see from a 
Trent mm. Barrett or Brad Fittler coach team, um, you know, you, you you will see off the, a lot of off the cuff. And uh, anyway, that's my view that, that that's where uh, I think the Eels, uh, you know, uh, they need to build on that. And uh, yeah, look, good on them. It's a good win. Uh, they got the two points and they're, they're back in the hunt, but they're still struggling to get into that top four. So, uh, you know, they've, the, the games ahead is where it's, it all counts, to be honest. Um Look, let's get on to tackle number two. The biggest controversy of the day uh, of this week has been the NRL versus the New South Wales government. Here we go. All right. Peter Volandis versus Dom Perrottet, the Premier of New South Wales government. Uh, it's all happening. The uh, ARL chairman, Peter Volandis, has met with uh, Dominic Perrottet on Monday night. He was hoping that an agreement that the NRL has with the New South Wales government to provide upgrades, to fund upgrades to four NRL suburban Sydney stadiums, Brookvale Oval, Leichhardt Oval, Penrith Stadium and Shark Park, uh, would be honoured, and if so, then the grand final, uh, Peter Volanders is saying, would remain in Sydney for the next 20 years because that's part of their agreement, apparently. Um, now, because uh, Perite has uh, gone back on some of these, uh, co- you know, in cost-cutting, uh, in a cost-cutting measures environment, he's decided to not fund, uh, or, or at least there's talk about him them not funding the upgrade of these stadiums. Uh, Peter Volandis has uh, chucked a bit of a tanty and he has said, look, we're, we're open to the option of uh, basically, um, you know, giving the grand finals to Suncorp Stadium, to Queensland. Um, so, so yeah, the, he's talked about there being delicate negotiations with the New South Wales government and all options will be on the table if these negotiations fail. Tish, it sounds like he's trying to hold the New South Wales government to ransom by dangling the NRL grand final uh, over over Perite's head. Um, is this a good move? Is this a good negotiating tactic? And, mm. Or is Volandis being a child? <laughs> what do you think? Well, um, not sure. Look, I know that sort of, uh, I did hear Peter Villanis, uh in an interview saying that he's speaking with their lawyers and legal team to see what is the, uh, you know, what are their options? Because from their point of view, what they see is that uh, by not giving this funding, the New South Wales government has um, has basically uh, sort of reneged on the contract they have with the NRL to provide this funding. And the exchange for that apparently is the NRL grand final to be hosted in Sydney for the next, you know, X amount of years, whatever that that is. Well, so 20 years, 20 years. 20 yeah. years, yeah. So on one hand, what the NRL needed to deliver is grand finals for the next 20 years. And in return, the government is supposed to be funding these upgrades. Um, now that $800 million figure is, is, is what's been sort of quoted in the media. Um, Peter Volandis did say that I, that that is a... You know, percentage of the budget, it's actually 0.001% or something like that, or less than that. Because, um, because you know, we're talking about uh, a 39 or $40 billion budget that they have to spend, and this is a very small sum of that, um, is is where Peter is coming from. I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but that's, that, that's just what I heard him yeah. say. And then so, like, 
Uh, yeah, so so therefore, if if the government have sort of uh, you know breached their contract, therefore they could breach their side of the contract and not actually host a grand final in uh, New South Wales this year and uh, moving back to Suncorp. Um, and it looks like that's probably the path they're going to go down unless the government comes back to the table and actually honours, you know, the original commitment uh, or, you know, whatever options there are. So it does seem to be a bit of a, an issue between, yeah, the New South Wales state government and and sort of, um, you know, and sort of uh, the NRL. Obviously, the victims to this is New South Wales rugby league fans <laughs> because, you know, um, we might lose our grand final. Uh, we might lose other events. Um, and in return, meanwhile, um, you know, the Queensland government have been very, uh, very good to the rugby league, actually. Um, and, you know, stepping in there and offering origin and, you know, uh, magic round and everything like that. So um, it seems like, you know, uh, PVL and the NRL are sort of going where they are sort of wanted <laughs> and not wanted. Um <laughs> And I think one thing, and look, I haven't actually seen the press conference for this, but what, you know, uh, Premier Karate is saying uh, is that the uh, the reason why they're reneging on this contract is because they need to fund, uh, like, I think it's flood, like emergency relief victims, you know, whatever they receive, that money is going to, you know, so as, as a result of paying that, then they won't be able to fund these stadiums. Uh, and I think PVL said that, well, they've actually got plenty of money and they could they don't necessarily need to take it out of here. Um, but it's just kind of the convenient thing to say. So, look, I don't know. Like, look, I think I think it is a bit of a ransom. It is, you know, a negotiation tactic. I don't know what it is. Like, you know, I've got what you've got. Uh, I've got what you want. You've got what I want. Let's do a deal is, is the approach. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Uh, you know, I, I ha- it's been a long time since I read The Art of a Deal by Donald Trump. So, um Maybe I need to relook at the work of Mr. Trump to see whether whether PVL should be using the same sort of tactics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe we're recommending that uh, PVL reads Donald Trump's. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, well, maybe I, while they're playing three-on-three pogo stick basketball, they can. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> look, look. I will say this: I am a traditionalist, but I don't really necessarily believe the NRL Grand Final every year has to be in Sydney. Right. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Yep. I think uh, we should set ourselves apart and uh, send yep. it around. It can be a traveling festival, carnival. Yeah. I think it needs to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same way with the Magic Round. I don't think the Magic Round needs to always be in Queensland, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the changing it around is okay to me. So I'm not I'm not really fussed with the NRL Grand Final. Is if I, if, I, if I'm being completely fair. Um, so yeah, but look, I, I hope that these stadiums do get the upgrades. Um, at the same time, I also hope that you know families who've lost everything get compensated by the government as well. So yeah, exactly. You can't have winners everywhere, can't can you, Doctor T? No, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. But look, let's see. We'll keep in touch with this news item because you know it could mean the difference between a return to Sydney for a grand final versus not. And so I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's also not. I think the issue is is also that uh, non rugby league fans of sport uh, and non sport people, uh, people who are not fans of any sport, uh, looking at this as uh, you know the NRL being petulant uh, and and you know why would you um, 
why would you take money that is being touted for uh, flood relief and, and all sorts of things like that? And, and I think that to me shows the genius of, uh, you know, maybe Don Perite has been reading the art of the deal because I think <laughs> yeah. the fact is the fact the narrative is it's either this or, you know, the money either goes here or to flood victims. It's like, well, when you put it that way, <laughs> it seems, mm. it seems it's like saying you either, you know, you either, Eat that uh, that nice, delicious burger that you're having, or a child starves in wherever. It's like yeah. if, you, if you always look at things in that kind of with that kind of polarity and dichotomy, it's always going to end up with uh, you know you're making a wrong decision or making a, a decision based on emotion mm. rather than you know. Yeah. And another way to look at it is, well, shouldn't the money already be diverted to these? Uh, these things by the government and then the comparison should be, you know, within the sport portfolio, do you put money towards this or that? You know, that that's really where the yeah. – you need, you need to compare apples and apples, to be honest, uh, to be, mm. for it to be a, not, not a disingenuous discussion here. And so I think a lot of people are seeing that. A lot of people are saying, yeah. you know, Landis is a bit of a child, etc. But I yeah. think he's doing – his best as the CEO of uh, of the NRL. He's standing uh, up for the game, right? That's yeah. right, and it's his job. That's why he's there. We yeah. wouldn't expect any less. So you know, yeah, and, when you, and yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, there's a contract involved here as well, right? Which, you know, he's sort of calling out that it is a bit of a breach uh, of that. Um, he's also got his own little uh, tactic as well, because I, I did in the interview. I, I heard him say that, like, you know, these grounds, you know, they're not just for rugby league; they're other for other community events. Um, you know, there's going to be like you know schools and like different clubs and different junior sports that use these stadiums for their like you know grand finals and for regular footy, and you know get the kids from stop playing video games. And I'm like, video games? What is what does video games have to do this with this PBL? Uh, um, but but yeah, there you go. It's kind of yeah, bringing in other issues to discuss this issue is kind of where uh, where I think people get annoyed, right? Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's move on to uh, the Rugby League World Cup news for Samoa, and here we are, tackle number three. All right, so the latest news in uh, International Rugby League is that uh, Queensland enforcer Josh Papali has announced that he will be playing for Samoa in the Rugby League World Cup this year. He follows Penrith duo Brian To'o and Jerome Luai, uh, and I believe there may be others uh, that are probably going to follow, but... Uh, look, the you know the the latest is uh, well, it's good news, isn't it for uh, for Samoa, who've got um, you know quite a few players that have already uh, announced or, or have already played for Samoa this year. Anthony Milford, uh, I think we've got David Nofaluma. Uh, there may be others to follow, uh, but but it's a pretty good sign when you've got you know. Three state of origin stars, basically in the last several weeks, committing to uh, to Samoa for the World Cup. Tish, what are your thoughts on this? And are there others that you're seeing on the horizon as possibly uh, committing to Samoa? 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think this is great news for Samoa. Uh, and look, not a real... Because Josh Papali played in the last World Cup for Samoa too, right? So um, it's not earth-shattering news by that uh, stretch as well, right? Like, you know, we we kind of knew that that he has his allegiance. So it's great to see him there. He's going to be partnering up with uh, Martin Tapao, uh, you know, as prop forward. Um, and I think Francis Molo was also the forward for Samoa. So that's already a big lineup. Um, Josh Aloe was also locked. So, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not going to uh, lose anything with forwards. And I just wonder if Junior Paulo, Paulo hopefully I've said that right, uh, who's also of Samoan descent, whether he actually makes it too. And then you'll have two origin forwards for Samoa, which I think would be awesome um, to see. Uh, now, the other one that could, well, I really hope would announce his, um, you know, his availability for the lineup would be Dylan Brown. Because if you could have a Luai Brown, uh, well, I know they're sort of two five eights, but, you know, if they're in the halves playing uh, with each other, uh, and then, you know, you've got Charlie Staines as fullback, you could have Stephen Crichton in there as fullback as well. Um it becomes a pretty awesome spine. Um, you know, they'll probably need to have, uh, you know, uh, well, they had Jazz Tavanga from uh, the Warriors in at number nine, but they also have Famille Brown, who's been playing at number nine for the Tigers and been doing a great job as well. So, you know, all of a sudden, they've got a, a top-notch NRL quality uh, spine along with origin forwards, <laughs> you know. And, you know, as you said, David Nofaluma, Charlie Stain, Stephen Crichton, you know, Isaac Togo, you know, a lot of great finishes in the back line. Um, I mean, uh, like, I think they go to tier one um, if they play to their ability. Uh, uh, I think I've also heard Andrew Webster, who's the, one of the Penrith, um, sort of uh, one of the Penrith, um, you know, uh, coaches, like assistant coaches is going to be involved in, in their uh, squad as well. So good coaching, great squad. Uh, you know, can they? Uh, I, I think they'll upset a lot of teams if that's the case. What about yeah. your thoughts on Samoa's prospects? Oh, look, there there are others. I think you're you're forgetting, and the Queensland. The irony of all this controversy coming up with the dual eligibility with Brian Todd during the final week of the State of Origin series is that what I've heard is that potentially there might be two other Queenslanders after Josh Papali that could uh, put their hand up for Samoa. So we're talking Tino and I, I never know how to say his surname. So I'm just going to call him Tino. Obviously Tino of the uh, let's, let's um, let's uh, put Matt Burden in a headlock Tino um, <laughs> Titans. Um, Tino, the Titan, let's just call him that. Mm. Um, he potentially uh, could be eligible uh, if he puts his hand up. And Jeremiah Nanai from the Cowboys, who was also, um, yeah, I'd say, I wouldn't say he starred in the State of Origin series, but I think by the end he was a fairly solid player. So, and don't forget, you've got uh, from New South Wales, the Saifiti brothers, Jacob and Daniel. No, I believe are- they're Fijian, actually. Oh, are they? Oh, I thought they yeah. were Samoan. Oh, there you go. My mistake. So, okay. Yeah. Well, let's just stick with the Queenslanders that we know we know and love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Look, uh, if that's the case, then 
Yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, do you count? And you were talking about um, Junior Paolo as well. You mm. know, that, that's a that's a heck of a, a star-studded squad um, if everyone is fit and ready to go. So I think that that's um, yeah, that would be pretty amazing. Uh, I don't know if they go to T1 because I think you'd need to see some results first. But yeah, um, certainly, certainly there are some good players there, and uh, you know, it's again this this. We wouldn't have thought about this situation several years ago prior to what Tonga did with uh, Jason Tamalolo. Uh, you know, it really, really set the the ball rolling here. And so it's great news, I think, that Samoa is potentially in with a chance of uh, getting a, the strongest possible squad that they could muster for this World Cup. And that, to me, puts them in genuine contention for at least a semi-final berth. And I think, uh, you know, I think I was mentioning in the earlier part of the season that Samoa is going to be the surprise packet over and above maybe Tonga and Fiji. And I think this news just uh, adds to that uh, crystal ball prediction uh, from early in the year. So, yeah, absolutely excited. Looking forward to it. Um, I wonder if there's going to be more controversy in the news about uh, the lack of loyalty from the Queenslanders. Probably not because state of origin is over, so we're forgetting about that. But look, uh, it's great news uh, that that Josh Papali he's got he's still got a lot to offer, even though um, you know he's kind of his career has kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit recently. He's still got a lot to offer, and I think once you put him in a jersey that where he's representing his homeland, I think. Uh, I think the passion will come back even more so than uh, than he does when he puts on a Queensland Maroons jersey. So I think I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And look, I, I've got to stand corrected. So the Saifita brothers are actually half Fijian, half Samoan, but they're both represented Fiji. So they are also in the mix there. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, there you go. I, I kind of, I guess my uh, my sources, my inside knowledge, uh, I was kind of thinking, you know, and, and the, I, I do have, there's another play, I'm not sure, if uh, is the good old Ronaldo Mulitalo from the Sharks. Is he, <laughs> is he also Samoan yeah. potentially? He is. And uh, yeah, so funny thing with him is that he's eligible for everybody except for Queensland, right? Um, like the one place he wants to play. Oh no! Um, what a shame. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. There you go. And then, um, you know, look. I know, uh, you know, Joseph Lelour is kind of uh, playing in the Super League, but Luciano, big sign up for the Cowboys. You know, like, I don't think he got a run last time, but you know, you got him <laughs> there as well. There's, there's a lot of great players that, um, are in, are you know, that sort of, uh, you know, at the top end of the. NRL. I mean, we're not talking about players that are sort of, you know, playing sort of semi, you know, starting positions on some of the lower teams. Now we're actually talking about some of the big name players from the big name clubs that are going to be in for the final series. So um, now the there is a bit of a danger to it as well. I remember that Ricky Stewart, uh, Canberra coach Ricky Stewart, did uh, didn't want uh, Papa Lee to play for Samoa because apparently uh, in the last World Cup, he gained something like 10 kilos just hanging around the boys for Samoa. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there is a bit of a, um, I think they do need to, 
you know, make sure to stay focused on the footy uh, and not and not necessarily on on sort of the uh, other activity sort of thing. And uh, I'm just looking at through the eligibility that I can see, and I could also see another potential Origin player uh, to actually you know to actually be picked for Samoa if he chooses his allegiance, and that is Payne Haas. Wow, so, and, and and a future future some uh, New South Wales player Joseph Suwali from the Roosters potentially as well. But yeah, wow. if you're talking current players, and Payne Haas would be one of the top props in Australia. That would be a huge blow to the Kangaroos uh, to not have him there. But um, I'm pretty sure Payne Haas would be committed and has indicated his commitment to the Kangaroos. So I think. Uh, I think it's, it, that would be a very difficult sell uh, to get him to to play for Samoa. But I think, yeah, you're right. He's definitely got some possible eligibility, multiple eligibilities there. Um, all right, look, we'll leave it yeah. there. But I think let's uh, keep keep in touch with the Samoans because, uh, like I said, I think they're going to be a surprise pack and I look forward to seeing uh, which other NRL or Super League stars are going to be playing for them. But let's move on to tackle number four. Uh, it's about hip drop, hip drop till you don't stop. Here we go. And what a fitting jingle for a hip drop uh, discussion. Look, what is hip drop, you may say? I did not know it was called this until this week when Paul Kent from uh, whatever whatever show he's on on Fox News, uh, on Fox uh, on the Fox Channel, he, uh, Fox Sports, I mean, he decided to have a bit of a rant about what the NRL judiciary is doing and how the NRL needs to stop these hip drop tackles because they are dangerous, they can cause damage, etc. Now, let me explain, Tish, what to those of you who are, uh, those out there who are uninitiated like I was last this time last week, what is a hip drop tackle? It is when two players, uh, two, one or two players, have uh, held the ball up for, an, you know, the opposition player comes at them, they've got them wrapped up, um, but they're still standing, they're still kind of struggling to go forward. And then a third player comes in, could be a second player, comes in and attacks the hips in order to, or and below, in uh, you know, around the knees, I guess, in order to buckle the legs so that that, that player can be, quickly uh, push towards the ground, thereby uh, slowing down the play, the ball, thereby giving the defenders a bit of an advantage to get back into their line. Um, in my view, this, in my mind, this type of tackle was previously known as uh, just a third man in. And and I think they also at some point used to call it a cannonball where someone would come in and, and attack the, the legs while they were exposed. You know, very dangerous, very dangerous type of tackle. I completely agree with Paul Kent and every, everyone else has talked about it. Uh, this has come about because of Patrick Carrigan's tackle on Jackson Hastings in the Broncos-Tigers match, where by Patrick Carrigan doing that, I think he uh, well, he got sent on. I don't know if he got sent off, but he certainly got placed on report. And I think he's been suspended for, I think, four matches or, or something like that. And, and you know, uh, Jackson Hastings, is also out for the season. 
Mm. So he's managed to get an injured, uh, I don't know if it's an injured uh, ACL or, or something. There's something to do with the way he was twisted and something popped and, you know, out for the season. There you go. And look, poor Kent and everyone else who says the NRL needs to outlaw and really clamp down on these types of tackles is uh, those people are 100% correct. Tish, if we just focus on that issue, should the NRL do something to stop these kind of tackles? I would say yes, and my solution to that, however, it's not just banning the tackle. It's just, uh, you know, how would you do that? Well, you'd probably describe the tackle, uh, the allowable tackles as once a player is held up, um, it's at the discretion, obviously, of the referee to, uh, to sort of indicate that they're held, but players, anyone attacking the legs from then on should be penalised. Uh, straight away, without question. So uh, this will stop teams, I think, from, uh, you know, pushing the referee's buttons, so to speak, pushing the referee's discretion uh, and, and saying, you know, well, he hasn't called hell yet. Let's uh, let's go and bring them down. No, I think the referee needs to sort of, and players need to understand that once you've got them kind of wrapped up, there's no struggling to be done. You have to stop the struggle and just admit that you've got tackled. And uh, I think it will be a very fine line and we will have times where players feel like they, they were entitled to c- continue and push on. Um, but again, this is the price you pay for uh, their own safety. Player safety, um, you know, is knowing that if you're being held up and, and the ball is wrapped up, that the law is there that it will stop players from uh, uh, legally attacking your knees and bringing you down uh, in, in that way. And I think that's a good, a good thing. It will make the ruck a lot cleaner. It will make the game a lot faster, actually. <laughs> it will have that consequence, I think. But, Tish, over to you. Do you agree with the, the view of uh, getting rid of the hip drop tackles but also, uh, you know, what, what what would your solution be to it? Okay, okay. Well, look. Um, uh, so, so you used a few different industry uh, terms, which I think uh, sometimes get a little bit confused when it comes to this sort of stuff. So, the the third man in tackle, right? So, uh, you know, you have two people, you know, sort of tackling the third man in. Um, you know, where the person hits the. Uh, where the person makes contact, where the third person makes the contact is really where the issue lies, right? So if they yeah. strike at the legs, if they go leg first, that's a cannonball, right, which is illegal. Uh, you cannot do that. That's obviously a penalty and, you know, you could face suspension. Um, now, if you, if the third man in goes high above the hip, uh, that is actually legal. Um, and I don't think there is a huge risk to injury. Um, but then the one that we're talking about here is when you hit around the hips and then you push down. Uh, so you basically try and drop the hips because um, it just means that the leg gets buckled underneath and you could break the, the you could break the person's leg, which is what happened to Jackson Hastings. Um, and, you know, you could, uh, you know, it could be a two-year uh, recovery, right, for some players, right, when it comes to, like, particularly ACLs and all those little bones that are in the foot. So it, it's a career-ending injury, potentially. Um, it's a season-ending uh, injury. And this is not the first hip drop tackle uh, that actually has seen a player's season um, uh, end. Earlier in the season, Hayes Dunster 
Uh, he was the subject of a uh, hip drop tackle uh, by a, a St. George's uh, Tyre, uh, what's it, Tyrell, Tyrell Fuimaeno, right? And that was in a preseason game. Mm. And uh, Hayes Dunster is out for the season. He still has yeah. not recovered. Um, now, the interesting thing about that tackle, right, is uh, uh, it was <laughs> it was uh, it was actually uh, like I think they called it a love spin, right? <laughs> a what? love spin. Tra- I think oh it was described God. as a as a love spin. And the reason why is because Hayes Dunster is actually dating Tyrell Fumio and his sister. So um, I don't know if that was just a, a bit of a, a joke or something. But the, the interesting thing is that Fumio for a trial game. He got five weeks for for this uh, hip drop. Patrick Carrigan gets four. So, are the NRL even serious about outlawing this tackle? If the the penalty is like less than what it was in a in a in a in a trial, I feel like uh, Brisbane should actually be consider themselves quite lucky that he only got four. I really think that it is a penalty that is. I mean, if you want to outlaw it, then you've got to give it the same sort of punishment as what you'd give if somebody did a spear tackle, uh, like Nathan Cleary, who got five, right? Wouldn't you, on the same week that somebody got a spear tackle, somebody else did a hip drop, and, you know, uh, wouldn't you give it the full five weeks, Dr. T? I find it strange that uh, Carrigan only got four. I think when it comes to someone in a vulnerable position, their neck could be broken. I think... In my mind, that's more that's harsher. I think mm. you know if you're talking about the the likelihood of a hip drop tackle, as terrible as it can be, awkwardly causing a leg breakage. I think if you compare that to you know the risk of you know making someone a, a, a quadriplegic or whatever, I think that's which which has happened. You know, it's not like as if it's impossible. Yeah. In my mind. It's clear that the hip drop is less severe, uh, yeah. an issue, less serious an issue. Um, yeah. It's still an issue, though, and I think it's still, yeah. if we're talking about, you know, protecting players, uh, you know, we need to we need to be fair income about it and say, look, it's not it's not a good look, and it's it's too risky. It, we know someone has already had a season-ending injury. Admittedly, the season's almost over, but still, it's still going to be a very difficult recovery for Jackson Hastings. But, um, you know, let's just stamp it out of the game. And that way, you know, teams won't be training to and, and, and practicing doing this sort of stuff. They should just be practicing, you know, wrap the ball up in a ball and all tackle and wait for the ref to, you know, call held. And if you are the attacking player... You do not have the right to advance the ball um, because that's part of the reason why defenders want to go in and bring them down because they know that that the the players will do whatever they can, attacking players, to advance the ball and advance their position. And they're just trying to prevent that from happening as well as giving them some time for their defence to settle. So, um, yeah, I think some clear boundaries, some clear rules mm. around what's acceptable or not is what's required. Yeah, uh, I think so too. And like, I think that, look, I think, uh, okay, so if I go back to, okay, so I think the speed tackle is uh, got a potential, a higher potential risk, right? So it can be more severe, uh, but I think an injury from a hip drop 
is more likely, right? So even though the the you know it's a broke what would you like a broken neck is worse than a broken leg I do agree with that but you're more likely to break somebody's leg with a hip drop than you are likely to hit somebody with a spear tackle and see them injured right so I feel it's still really bad um, so and I think if they want to get rid of it like yeah look I mean if if we take one step back all of this comes from now I know a lot of people say all of this comes from the Melbourne Storm. Right, but let's—it's all, it's all Bellamy's fault because they invent all these tackles. That's what they say. But look, let's go a bit beyond that. All of this comes down from uh, the re- wrestling for position in the ruck, right? So you know, it's a it's a it's a co- competition uh, between the attacking team and the defensive team who could, you know, successfully negotiate themselves um, back um, so that you know the defensive team has time to settle. And the offensive team has time to like, you know, can can do a quick play the ball, right? That's yeah. that's basically where all of this is coming from. So maybe you gotta relook at the way we do that and and make it less of a competition, maybe make it a lot more like finite and definitive and basically rule on that. I mean, for example, that whole idea of you actually have to get up completely to play the ball. You know, so many of these quick play the balls, I mean the guy is still halfway, you know, standing up before they play the ball, for example. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, or you get rid of that element and you just have uh, <laughs> the referee blow the whistle and call held all the time for every tackle, right, or something like that. But there's no real definitive way of when the tackle finishes and when the play the ball should be allowed, right? So it just means that you've got a player that's, uh, you know, got two people in the tackle holding the player up and then, um, you know, the referee hasn't called held. And, you know, the the next person coming in, it's open to interpretation where they want to tackle, right? Um, you know, like, uh, I didn't see when they ruled on this penalty that somebody got out a uh, tape measure to actually measure where the actual hip is, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, you know, you're not doing the next ray on the play on the field. So it all it is a bit discretionary to figure this out. So I just think that it just needs to not be differentiated, you know, like discretionary. And we just have to have like a finite, like, okay, this is when you play the ball, right? And then done. And then it just makes a contest between attacking and defensive teams on who can get to the uh, advantage line quicker uh, to advance their position. I, f- I feel like, I know it's rewiring the game a little bit, but but maybe this element of wrestling is just causing way too much injury that eventually the sport has to move into this direction. Yeah, and I feel like it's actually uh, the one of the perverse outcomes of this is that you're going to have players who uh, would be encouraged to put on weight so that you can't tell where their hip starts. Mm. And therefore... Therefore, therefore, you could argue. Well, you know, that's uh, that yeah. wasn't where my hip is, Your Honor. Um, as you can see, yeah. put on some weight. To, I'm hiding where my hip is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, the knows? major sponsors of the NRL, apart from Telstra, is like McDonald's, KFC, like KFC, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, and alcohol brands, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> and delivery services, right? Like you always have, like the NRL plays on those delivery. Uh, that's right. It's, yeah, it's, so yeah. it's the fault of the cabbage replacing the lettuce. That's what's uh, caused <laughs> the players <laughs> to put on weight significantly when they have their burgers. But anyway, all right, let, let's move on to uh, some interesting news from a from the rugby union world. 
Uh, take on number five. Here we go. So those who follow Rugby Union, especially in Australia, or even in England, I guess, would know of a former Wallaby coach named Eddie Jones, who is in because he has mentioned that, uh, you know, that uh, has he mentioned that there were, um, well, it was a while ago, actually, that he was mm. hoping to, uh, he had an ambition to coach in the NRL. And uh, Tish it wasn't just any team that he was going to uh, that he wanted to join. There was one specific team. Who is that team, or which which is that team? Well, for Eddie Jones, the specific goal is that he one day coaches the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Um, wow! So that's where he wants to do. Now, Eddie Jones, prior to uh, being a coach. Uh, for the Wallabies and a coach for, I think it was the Brumbies first, actually. Um, he was actually uh, a player uh, of Rugby Union and he did actually play for, I think it is uh, Rand. He played in the area. Oh, Matraville. So yeah, Matraville is, is, is in the South Sydney region, right? Uh, yeah, so he went yeah, to Matraville. Right. It's in that Friday. area, yeah. 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 yeah, and he played, I think he played for Randwick, uh, which is sort of, I know that's more... Why is that? It's in that area. It's in the same area as well. It's in the same area. So Close. obviously, obviously, growing up in in South Sydney, Rabbitohs heartland, um, you know, he, he's always had an interest in rugby league and always wanted to do to do that. And I believe if you actually look, uh, so you can actually watch. Uh, if you, I mean, I'm not, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a huge rugby league, a rugby union fan. Um, I do get into it time to time, like to watch. Um, I suppose some of the similar tactics, but there is a, a YouTube channel called squid rugby if you ever check it out and then uh, watch some videos on Eddie jones you'll notice that the guy sort of when he analyzes his coaching style does see that the brumbies and the wallabies and south africa and japan and all those all those teams and all their attacking play is actually uh founded on rugby league and rugby league attacking plays right so um you know, obviously he's put his rugby union spin on it to make it um, sort of, you know, uh, you know, comply within the sort of the way rugby union gets played. But, you know, um, where Eddie Jones has has had his success over the last 20 years in rugby uh, as a coach is through innovation. And he's one of these big ones that sort of, you know, thinks about it. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, him coaching South Sydney, I think we had Alan Jones, maybe? The last rugby union coach to start coaching rugby league. Um, Jeez, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, was there anybody else? I don't. I can't think of any others that have. I know Michael Checker has got some sort of affiliation with the Lebanese team. That's right. Um, I think Michael Checker is the latest uh, big name. Like he was definitely Wallabies coach, and 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 yeah, he's playing. Sorry, he's uh, coaching the Lebanon team in the World Cup, which is a big big deal. I think so. Yeah. I think that's really our latest sort of cross-code coach situation yeah. that we've got here in our favour. And I think, look, Eddie Jones, I don't know who, which which other ones. I mean, certainly Alan Jones is, it must be something about the Joneses. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. But look, I, I think definitely Alan Jones is one that I remember, but there there have been others as well. 
um, but certainly not as high profile as I guess Alan Jones and Michael Checker at the moment. Um, uh, but yeah, we could be wrong. So let us know if, out there if you know mm. of others who've who've made the transition and and had success. But look, I guess the question is, if Eddie's already bother, borrowing rugby league kind of plays in <laughs> rugby union. He wouldn't have too much trouble transitioning over to rugby league. To be honest, he's he seems like a pretty well respected coach, and he's had a lot of success in different areas, uh, in you know different kind of tournaments, at different levels. So I think he would uh, be absolutely, he would be brilliant uh, in in the NRL. But the, I guess the thing is, it would be a, a risk at this point, given what we've seen with you know so many assistant coaches at top clubs. Who have tried and failed to be head coaches um, at other clubs, and uh, and and I wonder whether bringing someone in who's uh, only ever coached rugby union, I guess, uh, to to some level of success, whether whether he would also find himself a bit of fish out of water in uh, in the head coaching role in an NRL team. But having said that, you can't get much more pressure than being a Wallabies, an England coach you know, in rugby union, there's a lot of pressure there. So I think the issue of whether he can handle the head coaching kind of role is not the issue. It's more just, can he do it in an NRL context with mm. uh, the, the level of kind of skill and technical knowledge that you'll need to be a good coach. But then again, you could always bring in, uh, you know, Trent Barrett, Cameron Seraldo, and any other number of <laughs> assistant coaches to do the technical stuff. And you just, manage the team in in the best way you can so i think i think it would be really exciting because i think i've always wanted to see how that the the coaching styles would work in this scenario and i think because eddie jones is a unique case it may it may just work i don't know many others in the rugby union coaching world that i would say Oh, that's someone I want to see coaching a rugby league team because, like like you said, I think his innovative style is what really uh, yeah. sets him apart. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think the reason why he's been so successful is that he does look at the way the game is played and think about how he could actually adapt and change it, right? Um, and, and I think that's great. I think also the other thing that he's really good at doing is that he's great at identifying talent, right, from that junior level and you know, like, and bringing them across. So, you know, and, and he's probably one of these guys that sort of, like, I know that probably for, you know, at his time at the Wallabies, there were a few rugby league juniors and rugby league, even people playing the NRL that sort of switched codes. I could see him doing something similar with that um, as well. If he does join the rugby league fraternity to actually um, have a few sort of really good world-class rugby players uh, from New Zealand and, like, uh, you know, England and so forth um, sort of switch codes. And, look, if he's success, then maybe he could also then transition into a role as a head coach of an international team, right? Um, And, you know, get some high-quality all-black players to play for the Kiwis, for example. Um, That's a great idea. Yeah, Yeah. or or, or even, you know, high-class English rugby union players playing for for England. I mean, it all. It would be exciting. I mean, I know he's uh, he's got a World Cup commitment, which is ends next year. But after that, you know, let's let's do what we can to get him into the game. I I, I think, um, you know, and if you want, if it's South Sydney, 
like, like, I mean, South Sydney a bit. Uh, I mean, they're not doing as well as what they did last season. They're starting, it's starting to hit a bit of form at the moment, but it could be uh, time for the winds of change, you know, at Redfern. Absolutely, and look, w- wouldn't it be great? My idea would be just on what you're saying. Uh, wouldn't it be good to have him attract uh, Fijian rugby mm. union players to rugby league in in anticipation of the a Fijian team? Uh, playing in the New South Wales uh, Cup competition, uh, you know, and maybe eventually having an NRL franchise, wouldn't that be Eddie Jones, the first, the inaugural coach of the of the Fijian Flyers? Uh, you know, that would be mm. really awesome. A future NRL franchise coached by Eddie Jones, who by his you know connections with rugby union is able to attract new talent into the t- into our game. So, well done. That's a great idea. Um, all right, let's move on to oh, our final... I just I just I just just doing a bit more research on Eddie Jones. There oh, could yeah. be another element. This he could actually help out PVL. He's sitting on the board of Goldman and Sachs in Japan currently. <laughs> so, you know, PVL looking for that, you know, 800 million dollars. Uh, maybe you need to give your friend Eddie a call and not Maguire. That's right. Looking forward to seeing the Goldman Sachs slash Leichhardt Oval (laughs) (laughs) played by West Tigers and every other game, every other team. Well done. Look, he can bring in the money and the players. This is brilliant. Eddie Jones, sign him up. I I think he convinced me. Let's let him break the contract. We don't need uh, the rugby union contract anymore. Let him commit to to South Sydney initially. Let's see where we go from here. All right. Enough of the shenanigans. Let's go on to the tips round uh, 21 tips. Take on number six. Here we go. All right. At the end of round 20, where I got five out of eight and you got six out of eight, we are dead even on 113 so far this year. Uh, let's see what games are in store for us in round 21. Uh, some very interesting ones. And we're starting with the Thursday night game at the Sydney Cricket Ground, Sydney Roosters versus Brisbane Broncos. I'm tipping the Broncos to win this one. I think, uh, yeah, the Roosters, they've got a lot to play for, but so do the Broncos. So I'm tipping the Broncos. Yeah, look, I'm actually going to tip the Roosters. I think the Broncos... Without, uh, yeah, I just think that they're on a bit of a lull at the moment. Storm v Titans, a Friday night game at six o'clock at Amy Park in Melbourne. I think the Storm will win this one quite easily. Yes, the Tino Fulisalama Ale Cup. Uh, I'm going to tip <laughs> the Storm. <laughs> all right, the uh, the Tino Titans Cup. Uh, all right, the uh, Manly versus Parramatta, the Friday night game at seven fifty-five. So it'll be televised uh, at Four Pines Park, which is the Manly's ground. Um, I think the Eels will win this one quite easily. Yeah, look, I think the Eels will win as well. Um, the fractured, you know, the the Manly seven <laughs> are back. Uh, and I think there's been, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to gel in time. It feels like it's uh, it's all going crazy for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, 3 p.m. game at uh, the Souths versus New Zealand Warriors. It's their home game, Souths, but they're at Sunshine Coast Stadium, oddly enough. So they're not really at home, but I still think they'll win quite easily against the Warriors. 
Yeah, I think South Sydney, um, they were they were really good last week, but couldn't get the chocolates, but I think they'll get it this week. All right, the Saturday Twilight game, Canberra Raiders versus Penrith Panthers at GIO Stadium in Canberra. I'm tipping the Raiders to defeat a Cleary-less Panthers. Okay, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I believe this result will be a repeat of the 1991 um, grand final, and I think the Panthers will win. All right, there you go. Um, local derby, Sharks versus Dragons, is the main game on Saturday evening at 7.35 at Points Bet Stadium in Cronulla. I'm tipping an upset here. I'm tipping the Dragons to upset the Sharks. They always lift for this derby match, and I think the Sharks, while they have a lot to play for, I think they uh, the, the Dragons will concoct a victory. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Sharks to uh, to take this one out. I, I don't think – I think St. George has been a bit too up and down for me to sort of solidly pick him for this one. All right, Bulldogs versus Cowboys – uh, Sunday at 2 p.m. at Salter Oval. I don't know where that is. Cowboys, though, will win this one as good as the uh, the Bulldogs have been. Recently. Yeah, look, yeah. I, yeah, the Bulldogs have been well, but I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm going to tip the uh, I'm going to tip the uh, the Cowboys to win this one. Uh, I believe this is Bundaberg, Queensland. So um, yeah, the Bulldogs taking a <laughs> their home game against the Cowboys to Queensland. So. As, as you do. So I guess it's similar to what Souths did as well. Um, finally, the Tigers versus the Knights. For some reason, this is a televised game. <laughs> um, but look, I think the Tigers will win this one. Oh, it's at Campbelltown Stadium, by the way, which hopefully will be a sunny day on Sunday, but it may not be. Despite that, I think the Tigers will win this one. And I'm guessing you're going for the Tigers too. Yeah, look, I'm going to go for the Tigers. Um, although I feel like all the shenanigans in Newcastle means that they might be up for the game, but who knows what's going to happen in this one. <laughs> I think I think it's a rocks and diamonds affair, and it should be entertaining on on, on, on the televised game. So, yeah, Tigers for me on this one. And I think um, just realised that probably the Saturday 7.30 match, uh, Cronulla and St. George, uh, because it is round 21, you know, the, the keys to the end of the season, I think that um, that game is also going to be televised uh, on free-to-air television. Oh, wow. Okay, so in the run home, there's going to be a few more free-to-air games for uh, Sydney folk, which is really good, and Australia folk, which is great. Um, But look, yeah, that wraps up our Round 21 tips and the podcast. We've had a big one. We've covered a lot of ground today, Tish, uh, as per usual. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, your, your wonderful opinions and expert analysis and discussion. Uh, but I'll leave it to you to wrap this one up for for today. Well, likewise, Dr. T. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.